Um, today, I'm going to talk about Palm Sunday. This is um, something that I've really thought has been an awesome thing for since I heard a message about it maybe 15 years ago. And then since I talked to Kurt, I didn't realize it's been six months, but I've been studying like six whole months for this day. So um, if I'm not good today, it's not because I didn't prepare. I definitely prepared. Um, so, but it is going to be kind of um, focused on Old Testament and current and history prophecy from the Bible. And it's a little bit um, of kind of a, a lot of facts, timeline, and um, I want to get everything in order. So I have lots of notes here that I'm going to try to cruise through, but you'll see me looking down a lot. So give me a little grace. I just don't want to make it confusing and then it gets boring. But put your thinking cap on. And uh, I'm going to try to do, like, a really good job teaching today. Um, it is a storyline, though. Um, so I'll try to keep leaning on that so it's not just too, too fact-heavy. But we'll have a lot of scri uh, scripture up on the screens, and we'll try to just get through this. Um, it's a storyline of things that are past that we'll talk a lot about um, something that Daniel, uh, a prophecy that in the book of Daniel from the Old Testament. And I'm going to do kind of a big introduction to Daniel's part of the story. And then um, something, some things that he wrote are actually still yet to come. And so we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, some people in this room may have dug into this before, and that's okay. You probably know more about this than me, but it's good to rehearse this story because it's so amazing. It's in God's, in God's word. And if you're new to this and it's like only halfway making sense, that's okay because for all of us, God's word goes so deep that we're all in a process of trying to learn and, and go deeper. Um, so uh, I'm gonna jump in. We'll talk about a few things from the Old Testament. They may seem a little random and then we'll try to connect the dots after that. So slide one is a timeline slide. Way, way back, 3,500 years ago, the leader of the people, uh, of God's people at this time was Moses. He, was, he lived 1,500 years before Jesus. In the midst of all these big, awe-inspiring miracles that we hear about, like the parting of the Red Sea and all the 10 plagues, um, God also um, gave Moses the law. And uh, one of the things in the law it's, it's almost a small detail you might miss in the midst of all the big, um, flashy miracles that Moses saw. But God taught the people through Moses about this rhythm of resting that he wanted them to do. There was um, one that was work six days and rest on the seventh day, and that's the Sabbath. But there was also a pattern of years that he asked them to do that was work the land for six years, and then let the land rest on the seventh year. Um, I've got a scripture about that. I might skip it just for time, because I just sort of summed it up already. Um, so when, when Moses led God's people out of Egypt, they began this journey to a land that God had promised them, and that became known as the promised land. So that rhythm was supposed to start when they arrived in the promised land. They're supposed to start taking... I think I have um, a slide after all. This is, JD, this is one now instead of one, 
one period. Yeah, let's read this real quick. Speak to the Israelites. This is God speaking through Moses. Say to them, when you enter the promised land, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord for six years, sow, prune, and gather. In the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest. Do not sow or prune or harvest. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you. The second slide here is that rhythm of Sabbath, Sabbath years. Also, God went on to say every 50 years, there would be something called Jubilee. So every time there's that seven, that group of seven, every time that repeats seven whole times, that's 49 years. And then the 50th year is supposed to be a Jubilee. Count off seven Sabbath years. So that's all the blue circles. And then you have a year of Jubilee. Everything goes back to the way it was. Debts are canceled. Slaves go free. Plots of land go back to the family who originally owned it. Um, Let's go to slide three. Or maybe we already did that. And then, um, okay, so I'm going to set aside the, the Sabbath thing for a minute. It's not actually a teaching on Sabbaths, but it will be kind of a detail in our story in a minute here. Um, Now I'm going to talk about Old Testament prophets. This is actually uh, something that I never, you know, growing up, didn't really enjoy reading. But now I can look back and I see how impressive it really is, what what those guys were doing. Um, In the Old Testament, God spoke really clearly through, through his prophets about Jesus, some of them even hundreds or thousands of years before Jesus would, would live on earth. Some of these old passages are so clear, it's almost like reading the New Testament when they write about Jesus. Um, I picked a couple examples, so uh, let's do, I think it'll be slide four in a second here. King David, he lived a thousand years before Jesus. And he wrote a few things that were specific, like what I'm talking about. He wrote, um, there was one psalm that he wrote, Psalm 118, which we've been singing all morning. It's, it's the Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. David wrote that about Jesus a thousand years before Jesus was born. Um, slide five, here's this scripture from uh, Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Hosanna. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, Join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. So bows in hand. That's the palms. And uh, this is what the people were shouting when Jesus came in, in his triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. They knew that this was for that day. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of, a lot of this. It's just wow when you actually look at it like that. It's not a bunch of facts. It's like, that's insane. No one, no one else, no other organized religion, no other people group has a prophecy that accurate that actually came to pass a thousand years later. Then, uh, oh, I have another scripture here. This is from David as well. Psalm 22. 
He's describing Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothing among them and cast lots for my garment. The detail. A thousand years before Jesus would actually do this. It's not like a little one-liner, like a fortune cookie, where you could kind of twist it to like, yeah, I guess that applies. It's so specific. There's no denying just the accuracy here. It's so vivid. And a thousand years later, it came to pass. We'll jump ahead to 200 years later, Isaiah the prophet on our timeline there. And then here's something that Isaiah wrote. 800 years before Jesus. This is in Isaiah 52 and 53. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. And then in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, For the transgression of my people, he was punished, and he will bear their iniquities. Again, 800 years before. I kind of have a feeling, almost like maybe Isaiah, when he was getting this encounter with God, then, then he wrote it all down. Maybe he was just crying his eyes out, not really even knowing why. He was writing about the most impactful moment the world would ever see. 800 years before it would happen. And even trying to explain it to people around him, they would never see it. There would be generations before it would actually happen. But he was obviously completely right on. You know, prophecy is a gift that we can even access now. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit, but it still takes practice to use it. And current day, 
we're kind of sometimes we'll be talking about this subject and we get real nervous about trying to give someone a word. And it can be even just a word of encouragement. Like, should I tell that person God loves them? I'm not sure. Is that God? Is that you? Or is it just me? And Isaiah was pretty bold. He got so specific. And he actually lived in a day where false prophets were stoned. So he really crossed the chicken line there and took a big risk. He heard God and he didn't leave out any details. He wrote all these encounters with God. And the writings became what we know as the book of Isaiah. And the people of God studied that book for 800 more years. And we can look back and see why what he wrote makes sense. But they were studying this and memorizing it. And passages like what we just read about Jesus were pretty mysterious for them at that time. So why was God speaking all these details through his prophets hundreds of years before I want to I just suggest that God wanted us to know when Jesus was coming, and he, want, he didn't want us to miss Jesus when he came. If you think about maybe um, if, if you didn't have your phone or if you think of a time before you had a mobile phone and you were, someone was going to pick you up at the airport, you would need to know some details because you couldn't just call and say, here's where I'm at. You would need to know what time was that person going to pull up. You need to know what they were driving and what direction they were coming from and what door to meet them at. And those were all provided in the Old Testament, all that info about the coming of Jesus. Isaiah told us he would come from the east. Isaiah told us he would come through the eastern gate. And Zechariah told us he would be riding on the foal of a donkey. So we know which direction he's coming from, what door he's coming through, and what he's driving. We don't have the when yet, and I'm going to get into that in a second, because it's kind of the coolest part, I think. But God's people had been told enough to know there was a Messiah coming to save them someday, and they knew Psalm 118 was written by David uh, for that day when Jesus would come and reveal himself as the king. So now let's tie this together excuse me, with um, the Sabbaths, Jubilees, and the, and the prophets. Um, back to, I think this is slide 13. They were commanded to take every seventh year off and let the land rest. And for 490 years, 70 cycles of those sevens, they didn't take one year off. So 70 Sabbaths, they skipped they disobeyed 70 times. And this, I'm showing you this because we're actually going to start talking a lot about sevens and seventies, and this is important. So um, if you can get a picture in your mind of like a seven, when we talk about 70 sevens, a seven is almost like a decade for, for the way they were counting by sevens. So we could say 70 decades, and we would know what that means better than if we say 70 sevens. I just don't want that to get confusing in a minute here. Um, so after this 490 years of living in the promised land and skipping 70 Sabbaths, um, God decided he was not okay with his people ignoring his instructions. And he made arrangements to give the land all of the 70 Sabbath year rests. 
in a row. All the Sabbath years it was supposed to have had. A large army was going to come and conquer God's people and take them from the land for 70 years. And while they were gone, the land would be resting for 70 years. Some of this, it's like it's a story, but there's so much detail in it that's like you can't make that stuff up. Um, Jeremiah the prophet lived during this time. You can put up 14 now. 650 years before Jesus was born. Jeremiah heard the warning from God that this army was coming and that God wanted the 70 Sabbaths to happen. And then th- that's exactly what happened. The people ignored Jeremiah and they, then the army came and they were taken from their land, forcibly relocated to Babylon. The city of Jerusalem was dismantled. Buildings and walls were knocked down and the land rested for 70 years. The way Jeremiah wrote it out for the people is uh, slide 15. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Notice that's Jeremiah 29.10. And we quote Jeremiah 29.11 all the time. So it's, it's showing this little glimmer of God's goodness. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. His heart for them was, was not angry or mean. He was just saying, like, I said 70, and we're going to go do 70, and then I have good promises for you, and you'll come back. So 40 or 50 years later, something like that, we've got, we meet Daniel. He's in the exile, so he's in Babylon. He's been taken. He's been made a eunuch. He and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they've lived through some crazy miracles. And uh, God has shown up and promoted them a lot. And then Daniel is reading Jeremiah's writings and realizes 70 years. Wait a second. We've been here almost 70 years. And, he, and that this is almost fulfilled. And he just gets wrecked. He's an old man now. But he looks around and he sees all of God's people still not following God. So he is um, fasting and praying about this, and an angel comes and shows him some more things that are to come. And that was all the intro to Daniel's writing. I hope this is not boring. It's a really alive story that all this detail goes somewhere. It's like this thing that reaches back and forward, and it's really amazing. It's like this is why we're here now, is because of this whole string of events that got us to here. So um, the angel comes and tells Daniel the when. We knew what direction it, the Messiah would come. We knew what door he'd come through and what he'd be driving. And now we know when he's coming because of what the angel tells Daniel. So here is Daniel 9, 24 to 27. Seventy-sevens have been decreed for your people. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be built again, that's Jerusalem, with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 sevens, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come, that's the bad guy, the people of the prince who is to come, 
will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So again, we'll talk about 77s. So uh, I just love how there's just so much order throughout the story. Again, we have another 77s, which the math on that is 490 years again. So um, in context, we already know what this means. Daniel, his prophecy foretold this period, uh, this next period of 7 times 70 plus 62, I'm sorry, 7 times 7 plus 62 times 7, which is 69 times 7, 483 years. The prophecy goes on to say, uh, this is 18, that from the issuing of a decree, so what's that talking about? From the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, there would be seven sevens plus 62 sevens, 483 years. Daniel knew that Jerusalem was in ruins. And according to this prophecy, from the decree to rebuild, it would be 483 years till the Messiah came. So that, that all happened. And Jesus came right on time. There was a decree. It was um, in the Bible. His name is Cyrus. He was, let me find his name here. I'm going a little bit out of order, but I'm not going to mess you up, J.D. Um, the Persian emperor Artaxerxes Longiminus, and in the Bible his name is King Cyrus, issued an edict to rebuild Jerusalem. And 483 years from that day, Jesus came from the east through the eastern door riding on a donkey exactly the way everything was prophesied. And it was Palm Sunday. <clears throat> then a few days later, he was crucified on preparation day and rose again on Sunday. Um, the next part of Daniel's prophecy says, after the Messiah would be killed, the people of the prince who is to come, again, that's the bad guy, would destroy the city and the sanctuary. This also happened. So after Jesus was crucified, within one generation, a king named Titus leveled Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And that's why there's no temple now. So it's like there's this big stopwatch that keeps starting and stopping. It's counting down. There was a period of seven sevens, and that happened, and then the temple was rebuilt, and then 62 more sevens, and then the Messiah and then he was cut off. And now there's, that adds up to 69 sevens. There's one more that hasn't, actually hasn't happened yet. So I'm getting, I'm getting close to the end here. Um, I want to stop and, and just like, this is not a church of just head knowledge. We don't just learn about Jesus. We actually care. About, we care about the details, but we want to know him. And I think that, um, first of all, what we can do with some of this info that we're talking about right now, we're, we're reading stories and learning about this story where people had prophecies that they were holding on to and stewarding faithfully, sometimes for 483 years, generation after generation. Then Jesus comes in and they sing Psalm 118 to him. They actually paid attention and knew, like, okay, he's here. We live in a time where we can see so many fulfilled prophecies leading up before our time 
and one more seven that still needs to happen. So we are stewarding that now. We need to stay true and keep believing and keep watching for the second coming. Jesus said he's coming back. So 2 Peter 3, 3 to 4. I'm just going to list off some scriptures here that talk about uh, just kind of where we're at now and what, how we need to hold our hearts now. 2 Peter 3, 3 to 4. You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, following their own evil desires, and they'll say, where's this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Noah dealt with this too. He was building an ark in a time before people knew what rain was or a flood or an ark. And people were mocking him and saying, where's the flood? Where's the rain? What's rain? What's an ark? And they were mocking him. And then everything happened exactly the way God said it would. (laughs) Yeah. After the 62 sevens, this is back to Daniel 9. The anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come, the bad guy, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. Desolations have been decreed. The bad guy will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. So now we're getting some specifics about this last seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. At the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. The next couple chapters, 10, 11, 12 of Daniel, go into great detail about wars and rulers and leaders and kings that would come on the scene and be defeated and take over. And we're going to skip a lot of that because we don't have time. To the end of Daniel 12, Daniel has a vision. This is still all the same, uh, same writing of Daniel that the angel has showed him because they're about to go back to the promised land. Daniel has a vision of two angels on either side of a river and a man who's above the water. One of the angels said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying it will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. So we're talking about a seven. We're talking about the bad guy halfway through the seven, which is three and a half. So that's a time, times, and half a time. So... Um, A lot of people teach different times when the rapture could come, when Jesus comes back. I'm not going to try to tackle that right now, but that's one of the times that people suggest is at the rebuilding of the temple or after three and a half years when there's this abomination that causes desolation. To unpack this a little more, we were just told when the giant stopwatch will start ticking the final seven when the temple is rebuilt. It will start counting when the temple is rebuilt and the sacrifices of the old covenant will be reestablished. So that's 25, J.D. 
on the timeline there. Jesus is coming back, and we have descriptions of what this will look like. In Revelation 19, 11 to 16, John says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the first time he came, he came as a lamb to be slaughtered for us, to take away the sins of the world. And when he comes back, it's going to be as a warrior and more as a lion. And he's going to come and clean up. He, when he came as a lamb before, he wasn't weak. He came to outsmart the enemy. And he made the enemy actually be the cause of us being able to have eternal life with him. When he comes back, he's just going to show everyone who's boss. <laughs> we don't have to read all this and try to understand every detail to know exactly when everything will happen. Because I think most of that is actually pretty hidden. But what we can do still is steward the prophecies that we have. Uh, in Romans 15, 4 to 6, Paul writes, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the writings of the past that we're talking about are to give us encouragement and endurance. Then in Luke 21, it says, At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. This is more instruction for the end times. When you see this coming close, don't shrink back. Don't get embarrassed. Don't get worried. Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I just realized Kurt's joke about keep your chin up, Emily. <laughs> First Peter 4.7 says, the end of all things is near. Taylor, if you want to come play, this is a good time. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. So we know that old, the old writings are for encouragement and they're for endurance. And when we see these, coming, these things starting to come, uh, come forth and take place, stand up, lift up your heads, and be clear-minded, self-controlled so that you can pray. 
I don't know if I came across the right way on all that. I hope I did. But we're talking about the end is near. And lots of times that can be a doom and gloom message. But I, I had this uh, illustration kind of come to mind. Um, last year when Kurt ran a 40-mile ultra marathon, when you have been running all day long and you are getting far, far into the race and you might actually pass another runner every now and then talking about it, we're getting near, like the end is near, that's good news. It's not doom and gloom. It's good news if we have ears to hear it. It's actually an encouragement. And we can receive important perspectives so we can stay on course. So happy Palm Sunday. That's, 